Well, you can uh, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles with you. For those of you who might be visiting, we've been walking through this book together, and um, it's about three weeks ago we were looking together at, at um, this story of Jesus and the gospel and considering what does it actually mean uh, to follow Jesus. And we saw that there are so many good reasons to follow Jesus. Uh, there are promises, some of which we'll talk about today. Glorious promises of forgiveness and eternal life. And so a lot of people make decisions to follow Jesus. I'll do that. Sign me up. But we also saw that making a decision to follow Jesus and following him are two entirely different things that one begins to realize when they become a Christian and are following after Jesus that the times of peace and rest largely aren't now. Uh, that there are great times of struggle. It's going to require a lot of us. Following Jesus isn't just adding a little religion to fill in an already kind of decent life to make it a little bit better. Following Jesus is following him. <laughs> it's acknowledging our need to have Christ leading us always. We um, saw that as Jesus is kind of going through and ministering to people a couple of weeks ago, uh, he gets into this boat and he's crossing a, a lake to go and minister to people on the other side of the lake. And uh, there's this big storm that, that comes up um, as they cross and the, there's, there's all of this commotion. The disciples wake up and Jesus can't, stands up and he, he tells the sea, he commands the sea to sort of stop, calms it. Uh, and we saw that not only does Jesus have authority as a teacher, as a healer, as he had shown before, but um, he's beginning to show these greater authorities. He has authority over all of creation. He can talk to the wind and it will stop. Um, and he's in a different category. So that the disciples at that time who were in the boat with him, uh, they asked this question which we've just been pondering together, which is, what sort of man is this? And, and then he gets across the sea, and he's, he's approached by these two uh, men. The Bible uh, refers to them uh, as um, fierce, demon-possessed men. And there's this incident where Jesus demonstrates his authority over all of the forces of evil, um, telling the demons that they must go, that this tormented man might be set free. The people on that side of the lake see these men who they were used to being fierce and wild and, and they see them in their right mind and they become afraid. They ask Jesus to go away. They're wondering what sort of man is this that, that, that he can do these things. Jesus then gets on a boat and he comes back to the to the original side of the lake, to the town of Capernaum, which was sort of like his home base for ministry. Um, and here it is that he will demonstrate 
um, and speak about the greatest authority of all that he has. And that's the authority to forgive sin. So hear the word of the Lord this morning, Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and he came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. This is uh, the word of the Lord this morning. Many years ago now, uh, I guess I would have been in my 20s at the time, uh, I was at New Covenant Church, which planted this church, and I signed up with a certain degree of... um, nervousness, because I wasn't used to doing this kind of thing, uh, to be a part of, a, of a, a team of men who were going to help this man with MS, a man by the name of Gary. And um, our job was uh, periodically, we were on a rotation, and he was helped whenever he could walk in a pool uh, at Hartford Community College. So we would, uh, we would pick him up and very quickly realize that uh, with, regardless of a disease, people who have a great sense of humor have a great sense of humor. Disease doesn't tend to hurt that too much, and, uh, and this guy could just make you laugh. Uh, he, he would get laughing so hard because we'd be joking back and forth, uh, and, um, and then he'd have to tell me to stop because it, it, the disease would make it so that he couldn't laugh for that long without harming himself. And... Uh, but he, he just, he, he loved the Lord. We'd, we'd take him to this pool, we'd help him get ready to go in, and, and, uh, and, and then he would go and we'd walk in this pool for an hour and just talk back and forth and, and go back to the, to the car. And he'd go back to his, to his wife. He had a couple of sons. And, uh, and, he, and he tried everything, everything, everything that they'd come out with. Yeah, I remember he, he tried this thing where you could, you could take um, bees and you would, you would calm the bees down in like the refrigerator or freezer or something like that. You'd settle them down and then, then they would sting. You, you'd try to st- uh, use bee stings to sort of get his, uh, get his body sort of um, alert again. Uh, I remember that was one of the things he tried. He'd try anything. Anything they were experimenting with, he would give a whirl um, but, uh, but eventually, um, eventually he died. 
the, the men who were at the pool with him, we would have done uh, whatever we could possibly have done. But, but MS is MS, and, uh, and um, paralysis is uh, paralysis. And uh, these men in the Bible, these uh, pool men, um, uh, they, they heard that there was this, this, this man and, um, and that he was in Capernaum and that this was the, uh, this was the sort of man who, who healed people. And these friends of the, of the paralyzed man, they were, they were men of faith. That they, and they, they knew that, that God could, could, that they, he could send the sort of man um, who would be able to heal their friend. And so they, they brought him to Jesus. That, that's what's the story, uh, that's where it begins. It's, it's one of the most beautiful parts of that story. It's these men care for this other man who can't do anything for himself. Um, there's a paralytic, the Bible says, uh, lying on a bed. He had, he had no way to get to Jesus. Uh, he might as well have lived in the city of Rome. There was no difference for a paralytic lying on a bed, whether he was one mile away or 1,000 miles away. He couldn't do anything about it. Except that he had friends. And, uh, and they were all men of faith. We know that because Jesus, uh, he looks at them and it says he saw their faith. Um, they, they were uh, people who loved the man and they were people who loved God and they were people who believed that Jesus could do something for the man. You know, it's... it's um, it's just a, a truth that, that every person is, uh, is a paralytic. Sin um, separates us in, entirely from God. The scripture's testimony is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, uh, that the wages of sin is death that there is no way to be reconciled to him in our own strength, try to be better people, whatever, uh, that we are, we are dead in our sins, that we are unable to get to him by ourself. Um, we are paralytics lying in beds, unable to do anything about our plight. How, how will we, how will anyone be healed? Well, well it begins with, um, with faithful friends or coworkers or family members who believe and who would bring people to Jesus. 
Every person in this room who is a Christian had somebody who saw you in your sin and said, what you need is to know Jesus. Every person in this room probably has multiple people who were willing to take you to the pool, take you wherever you needed to go so that you would know Jesus. We bring other people to Jesus. We bring others to Jesus first by praying for them. We, we bring them to Jesus by saying, Lord, help this man, help this woman, help this child. And we bring people to Jesus by sharing the gospel with them. We point them to Jesus as he's introduced to us in the scriptures. Are you bringing paralytics and sinners to Jesus? Jesus sees the paralytic lying there and he sees the friends and, uh, and there's just this surprising twist to the story because usually at this point is when he just touches the person or says a word and, and the person's fine. We've seen that already, there's this healing everywhere. But, but he has this surprising twist and uh, it starts with this phrase right, at, right out in front of this entire crowd. Um, Jesus says to the paralytic, uh, take heart my son, your sins are forgiven. Here's the paralytic lying on the bed and Jesus looking at him and, and saying, um, take heart. It's expression, uh, we don't usually say that anymore, right? Our, our child is sick or someone we know is sick, we don't normally say, take heart. Uh, but when Jesus says, take heart, what he's saying is, he's saying, don't, don't, be, don't be discouraged. It's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then he says to this man, he calls him my son. He says, it's going to be okay. It's, it's like uh, he, he wants him to know that he's so deeply connected and cares about this man so much that somebody who he likely never had met before in his entire life, that he's willing to take the extra time to say a few extra words and take heart. It's going to be okay, my son. And then the words, your sins are forgiven. Now why... Why? I thought about that. You know, what, why is this? I mean, certainly we're going to see in the declaration and the discussion that happens afterwards that Jesus uses the moment for like another opportunity to teach and to do those things. But why for the man? Because Jesus doesn't just say things that have nothing to do with what he's doing. <laughs> why the man? Well, because the man needed to hear his sins are forgiven. He needed to hear that more than rise up, get up, and walk. He needed to hear your sins are forgiven. 
You know, we, uh, we know from other parts of the Bible that, that certainly there was this understanding or thought that was present that if you were um, paralyzed like that or in the other instance about a blind man, if, if you were blind, the question that other people were asking was, who sinned, this man or his parents? This man grew up in an environment where, the, where his paralysis would at least at some level in his heart and in his mind be like, what did I do? Or what did my parents do? Or what happened that, I, that I'm in this state? He's wrestling with this and possibly seeing uh, sin in his life and thinking like, oh, that must be the reason why I'm this way because he knows that he's a sinner. Maybe, maybe he's been angry with God for so long. <laughs> angry that in order to get anywhere, he has to be carried around by people, even good friends like he has. And maybe here's Jesus. He realizes, like, this is about to happen. I'm about to be healed. And in his mind floods all these thoughts of, like, you know, and all this time I've been so angry with God. And, like, now look at this. Maybe all of a sudden all of this awareness of his sin, his conviction, is, like, sort of just bearing down on this poor man lying in his bed. We, we aren't told. But we see that forgiveness of sin is what this man needs because that's what Jesus gives. And that it's given with a warmth and a compassion that we become so used to seeing in our Savior. He declares forgiveness. Jesus declares forgiveness to this man who must have had as a man of faith a conviction that he needed forgiveness. And that's true today. A man or a woman who comes under the conviction of sin recognizes by God's grace the distance that their sin has created between themselves and God, between themselves and one another, other people. A man or a woman who comes under the conviction of sin then also recognizes not only has this created this distance that God's wrath against them for that sin is absolutely just. Do you want to know a repentant person? A repentant person is a person who sees their sin and realizes that God has every right no excuses, nothing, no, it's this person's fault, is that person? No, God has every right to be displeased with me. To pour out justly wrath on me for my sin. The man or woman who comes under the conviction of sin ultimately knows that he or she needs forgiveness of sin. It is the greatest need that any person has is forgiveness of sin. We are all like the paralytic lying on a bed. We all need the same thing. 
What good news it is then when we see Jesus look at the man and look at the man's friends <laughs> and discerning their hearts of faith, says to the paralytic lying there on his bed, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. For friends, if Jesus is the sort of man who can forgive this man's sins, then he can forgive yours. Now Jesus makes this declaration and the text immediately turns to a question of authority. It's an excellent question actually to consider. The question that was being probed in the, uh, you know, the religious experts of the day. Uh, they, you know, it's like uh, they, they knew their Bible so they were all, all ready. The minds were churning. Jesus has said these words, and that's not allowed. That's not. <laughs> because only God has that authority. And, um, uh, and so they, they say as much in their heads. Um, and of course, that, that makes a lot of sense. The, the authority to require, require to forgive sins. I mean... Jesus and this man, likely, like I said, they probably had never met. And, uh, and this man then had not, like, personally offended Jesus in some way. That Jesus was like, oh, no, it's all right. You're, you're fine. <laughs> like, it wasn't like what we do, you know. It's, um, and yet we find Jesus forgiving him as if he had offended Jesus, you know, with his whole life. And, and Jesus is forgiving him his sin. He's, he's, um, it's clear that Jesus is forgiving this man's sins generally. That's what they're all upset about. That he's saying, all of your sins are forgiven. And now think about the world in which they live. That only happens when you sacrifice animals. That's an atonement statement. And here's Jesus saying, without any apparent atonement at all, like none of the, none of the, requirements he's simply saying your sins are forgiven because I say that they're forgiven I, I mean it must have been remarkable everybody who is watching it's like saying it's like saying I forgive Tim what he what for what he did to Mary or to Bill you know I forgive your sins of pride and adultery and murder and lust and idolatry and envy and everything that you've done to other people that aren't me. I forgive you of all of your sins. I forgive you. Jesus does this, that the man might be heartened, that he might be encouraged, that Jesus' authority might be put on display, and that every single person who was watching might ask this question, what sort of man is this that forgives sins? Because only God can forgive sins. Now tucked into this discussion is a hint that forgiveness has a cost or might actually be hard to accomplish. Uh, uh, Jesus says this thing, which always, when you read it, you're like, I don't understand, and it's okay, because in all of my reading of all the people who talk about this a lot, they don't either. Here we go. He says this, 
Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Now think about that question. Jesus says to these men who are thinking evil in their, in their hearts that he's a blasphemer and all this, he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk? Well, by my calculation, they're about the same. Because the expressions are about the same length. Both of them are about as easy to say as the other. There are some who are thinking this. Some say, well, Jesus is trying to say that it's easier to pronounce forgiveness because that's kind of hard to prove. And, uh, and it's harder to pronounce healing because healing's the easiest to prove. You can either tell whether a person's healed or not just by looking at them. So it's actually easier to pronounce forgiveness. Others say, well, he's challenging the scribes here, and what he's really saying is it's easier to heal a man than for a man's sin to be forgiven, and so is making sort of an ironic comment of, of sorts. But the bottom line is that Jesus calls the healing. He tells us why he's healing, and here's why. He says, it is the proof of my authority to forgive sins. I have this authority, Jesus is saying, right to the scribes, he's saying, and to all the crowd, everybody listening, he says, I have this authority just like God. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to utilize my authority to forgive this man's sin, and I'm going to prove that I have that authority because I'm also going to heal him. And then he does. He heals the man. Uh, as the discussion of forgiveness, of course, develops throughout the scriptures, we will find out that forgiveness of sin will actually be quite costly, will be quite hard, regardless of whether it would be easy or hard to say, accomplishing the forgiveness of our sin and thus the salvation of our souls and reconciliation with God would be hard to do because it would cost Christ everything. blood of Christ would have to be poured out for our forgiveness. His death would be necessary for our salvation. He would take the wrath of God for us that we might be healed, that we might be given life, that we might be forgiven our sins. Jesus looks at the man. He looks at the friends. He declares the man's sin forgiven. And he heals him of his paralysis as a proof that he has the authority that only God had. How would people respond? Like, um, like many, many of you who have had young boys, there was a period of time in my life where all the boys were kind of young and, and they were, they'd do what boys would do, which was they all got very fascinated with dinosaurs. Di you know, at some point, <laughs> dinosaurs. So dinosaurs uh, are pretty cool to think about. We had this book, of course, that was like, a, so we got the book that was like the encyclopedia of every single dinosaur known to man and, uh, or not known, but whatever. They're just everything that you could think of that was dinosaur. And, uh, and when we were living in Florida, um, I think John was five, five at the time, or something older than that, 10, Eight. Thanks, John. Eight. Eight. And uh, we went to this place called Dinosaur World, right? And it was, it was awesome. You could you'd go see these big replicas of dinosaurs and do kind of uh, dinosaur fossil digs and stuff. And, 
And a few years later, we went to New York City to the American Museum of Natural History to see one of the largest collection of actual dinosaur fossils in the world. Why are they so fascinating? I mean, you do all that, and actually, like, a lot of questions come into your mind, right? Because, I mean, you see these giant things, bones, and all of this, and you start asking yourself the question, uh, what is this? <laughs> what explains the facts that are on the ground? Um, there's a rational process. It leads people to question and to create theories. It's all out there. And what happened, what, 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 what we're looking at, and then we're, we're trying to sort of ponder it and think about it. Uh, the, the, Matthew is like a master of presenting Jesus in such a way. He's doing this intentionally for you and for me in such a light uh, where he always surrounds them with all these people and they're all looking at the amazing things that Jesus is doing, sort of different things, and then they, they start asking these questions. There's this evidence, and it's all outside of their like regular daily life stuff in the same way that like dinosaur bones, like you don't normally see those out in Aberdeen or whatever. Uh, you, you know, here's Jesus doing things that are way outside of the, the scope of thought, but they're there, they're present, and they have to consider like, well, what is this? What sort of man is this? Who is this? And Matthew would have us do the same thing. He would have us see, hear Jesus, and respond. And what he does is he gives you three things, three groups, <laughs> and he shows how each one responds. So, so on, on one hand, uh, you know, the, the first set of theorists um, or those who are drawing conclusions based on the evidence they see, or the scribes. They, they're all, they're all, they almost seem to always be around. So there's the scribes and religious, religious leaders. And the scribes see everything that everybody else saw and hear everything that everybody else heard. And what they conclude is this man is blaspheming. Now, what they mean by that is this, that... They knew from all of their reading of the Bible that only God could forgive sin. And so Jesus was claiming an authority that was exclusive to God, and therefore Jesus was a blasphemer because he didn't give any glory to God. Uh, but instead, he claimed to have the authority that was only God's authority. And they were like, blasphemer, that's easy. The other option would be unthinkable to these men. That Jesus could be God and man and have that authority um, because of who he was. The scribes placed themselves as judges over Jesus. They actually saw themselves, if this is imaginable, they saw themselves uh, as higher than Jesus. People do this today anyway. It's like you get to evaluate who Jesus is and what he's about. And so they see themselves like that. They do not see themselves as paralytics at heart or as sinners, but they see themselves as experts of the law. But there was only one expert in the room that day, and that was the one who knew their thoughts and confronted them. But that's, that's the scribes. That's one set of people who who were there. And then the other is the entire other edge, which is the paralytic and his friends. 
The paralytic is lying there, and Jesus says all these words. His sins are forgiven, and then he is healed. His body is healed, which must have been incredible. He must have taken heart at that point. And, and then Jesus says to him, uh, let's see, what does he say? He says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the Bible says that the man rose and went home. Okay? Presumably, he picked up his bed as well. He, he did all of those things. Oh, what a homecoming that must have been, huh? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the family dinner? I mean, what a time with his friends. That paralytic, I guarantee you, he wasn't thinking like, oh great, I've got a fresh start. He's like in a whole different category of world. I got a new life. I wonder if some of us, when we become Christians, when we embrace the gospel in a very real way, we realize we haven't just been given a fresh start, a clean slate, a new start in our moral project. has this, uh, it's, it's a new life, and he's excited, and it's appropriate that what we see this man doing in the face of all the evidence and what's going on, um, he, uh, he just simply obeys Jesus. He doesn't challenge a thing. He doesn't say, how did you do that? He doesn't, he doesn't see himself as someone who had the right or the authority to challenge anything that Jesus was doing. Um, this was a healed man, and a healed man is a humble man, and a humble man is a, is a man of, of faith, and a man of obedience. These things are all part together. Faith and obedience are always joined together. This man was a man of faith and believe, and when Jesus told him to get up and walk, he got up and walk. That's why, you know, faith and obedience, is like I say, they're always together. That's why it allows someone like the Apostle Paul talk so vigorously about how, like, you're not saved by your works. You can't just do stuff, you know. And, and just as vigorously, you can have the Apostle James saying, you know what, if you say you believe and you aren't doing stuff, what a lie, right? They, they both can proclaim those things because they're true. Faith and obedience are always together. They're always together. We see that in the man. What other way could he respond He's healed. He's forgiven. So we have the scribes on one hand um, judging Jesus, and we have the man on the other hand trusting and obeying Jesus. Uh, they have made their decisions based on the evidence, what has been said, what has been done, and then there is the crown. They saw it all. It says, when the crowd saw it, oh, the scripture says, they were afraid. Because, I mean, yeah. And, and it says, they, they also glorified God. They gave glory to God. That, that, that was good. That was good as far as it goes. We see the crowd doing that in all kinds of other stories, actually. The crowd does that a lot. They, 
they, uh, a paralyzed man can now walk. Right? I mean, you can see this. You can see this, like, today. I mean, if a report of something like that came out, everybody would be like, woo, well, that's awesome. That's great. This, this happened. A paralyzed man can now walk. And then they said, oh, and look, there's, there's this authority that's been given. Um, they, they glorified God who had given such authority to men. That God had made Jesus into a, the sort of man with the authority to forgive sin. That all seemed good. It seemed good to the crowd. I, I mean, sometimes I wonder if, if like, they sort of rejoice because that seems a lot easier than the sacrificial system. Like the other time, Jesus... Jesus uh, did this great miracle. He, he, he made loaves and, you know, the loaves and the fish and fed all the people and everything. And it says that the crowd, what the crowd did after that was they glorified God, they praised him, it's great. Then they followed Jesus. But they only followed Jesus because Jesus kind of confronts them. He says, you know, you only are following me right now because what you want is free food. You, 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 want, it, you want it easy. They wanted to make him king. They thought, oh, he's, he's the king. He should be like our worldly king because he, he gives out bread. You see, to say that God is great and that that was awesome is not the same as placing yourself under the authority of the one whom they just saw exercise the authority of God in their very presence. They recognized that Jesus had authority. But they weren't like the paralyzed, now forgiven and healed man. We don't see any record of them coming and saying, now we would follow you to the path. Or worshiping him. Or bowing down before Jesus himself. And, and we don't see them acting like the scribes either. We don't see them denying Jesus and skeptical of him and, you know, kind of probing they just stayed there. What would they do? Would they follow the lead of the religious leaders? Would they follow the lead of the forgiven and healed man? Would they follow Jesus? Or would they just stand there? Marveling and wavering. Matthew that's the question he wants his readers and he wants for us. We're the crowd. We're, we're the crowd. Jesus declares, I have the authority to forgive sins. And that all men are sinners. You and I are sinners. What will we do? The scriptures say, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. There can't be wavering. Follow Jesus. Receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Don't stand and marvel. That's a really cool story. Isn't it? No. You follow Jesus. You do what this man did, the healed man. And then you go and you bring others to him that he might look at each of our family and each of our friends and each of our neighbors and each of our co-workers and see our faith and see their faith and proclaim 
Take heart, my son. Take heart, my daughter. Your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your great compassion and mercy poured out on us in Christ. We're, we're grateful for the forgiveness of sins we've been have because of his death and the cross for us. And help us to receive that gift of forgiveness and the life in Christ with thankful hearts and help us to bring others to Jesus that they too may be healed. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.